Support for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is February 15th, and this is the healthcare edition of the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I have healthcare specialist Todd Campbell on the line. Welcome to the show, Todd. Hi, Christine. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Uh, My muscles are sore. I'm up in New Hampshire, and we got absolutely buried in snow this past weekend. I heard you guys got dumped on, and I was shocked because here in D.C., we got nothing. Oh, consider yourselves lucky. We got over a foot of snow. And uh, I think I may finally break down at the end of this year and buy myself a snowblower. That is a worthwhile investment. I wouldn't blame you one bit. I know my back will appreciate it. Yeah. Well, shuffling is a good exercise, I've heard. It is pretty heart healthy. <laughs> you are alluding to the theme of today's show. So I will dive into laying that out. So yesterday was Valentine's Day, right? February 14th. And we're not done celebrating just yet. In spirit of the holiday, this week's show is all about hearts. Um, specifically, we're going to give some cardiac stocks a little bit of love. And these are, yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, when you look at heart disease, that's the number one cause of death in the United States. It kills more people than cancer and than, than anything else. Um, and it's just insane when you look at some of the numbers. Like somebody in the US has a heart attack every 34 seconds. So clearly, in the world of healthcare and drug developers and medical device makers, this is a big market. So there are a lot of stocks that we can talk about and a lot of different devices and drugs. And we're going to try to touch on a whole bunch of different ones today. Sound good, Todd? Uh, this is going to be an exciting show. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. All right. So let's start with cholesterol. So 25 million and more, probably more, Americans take statins to control their cholesterol to prevent cardiovascular diseases. But there is a new type of cholesterol buster that is coming to town. Actually, it's already in town, already out on the market. And these are called PCSK9 inhibitors. And I think I've talked about them on the show before. But as a refresher, Todd, do you want to explain what makes them different? Sure. You know, we have the major ways to treat high, bad cholesterol levels, right? We have statins that have been around since the 90s. And what statins do is they limit the production of cholesterol in the liver, okay? Then now we have this other way of attacking or lowering cholesterol, and they're called PCSK9 inhibitors because they block the an enzyme in the liver that's responsible for breaking down these receptors that are in the liver that help clear bad cholesterol from the bloodstream. Or saying this a little bit more simply, maybe, Because it blocks this, there are more receptors in the liver, so more bad cholesterol can be cleared from a patient's bloodstream. Yeah, it feels like kind of a a triple negative going on in there, but the thing that you need to know is basically just that they work differently than statins, which is great because statins don't always work to the fullest extent, and sometimes they're even poorly tolerated by patients. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, as you mentioned, 25 million, probably more than that now, taking statins to help lower their uh, or control their their cholesterol. Many of these patients are not adequately um, treated by statins. And as a result, you know, kind of those figures you were talking about earlier, um, there is a connection between cholesterol and cardiovascular events. At least we're discovering that um, as we do more and more research into 
into heart disease uh, and stroke. So, you know, anything that we can develop and get on the market and get to patients um, that lowers cholesterol is a good thing. Uh, these drugs, when they came out, you know, Amgen makes one, it's called Repatha, came out, got approved in August of 2015. Um, Repatha is um, fast becoming an important drug. It's The sales are not, you know, blitzkrieg sales yet, uh, certainly not treating as many patients uh, as statins are, but there are reasons to think that the use of these drugs is going to climb over time. Right, and a big one of those reasons is that pretty recently we found out that Repatha actually reduces cardiovascular risks more than just taking statins alone. And this was a huge deal when these numbers came out because A, they were long awaited, and B, they're really important to insurers because as of right now, insurers are a little bit dodgy about whether they want to cover the cost of this drug. It's it's expensive. It's $14,000 a year, whereas statins cost hundreds of dollars. It's a humongous difference in price tag. But with evidence that Repatha can reduce these risks, many think that insurers will start covering this drug now. Um, yeah, that was one of the main reasons, right, Christine, that, that sales of these drugs haven't become blockbuster, hit blockbuster yet levels Which yet. they're it's, largely it, expected to be. Oh, big time. I mean, if, well, if you just do the simple math, right? I mean, if you get 25 million people on statins, if even only a fraction of those patients start using a drug that costs $14,000 a year, you're talking about billions of dollars in sales. So, you know, the opportunity is, uh, is very big because now this study has come out and shown that there is indeed a link to taking this with statins and the ability to reduce the, you know, cardiovascular events like heart attack and stroke. I mean, it's a pretty important finding. Um, you know, there are two drugs on the market right now that are PCSK9s. Uh, there's Amgen's Repatha, and there's also another drug, drug called Praluent that's made by uh, Sanofi and Regeneron. Uh, but what investors need to know about that is that Amgen is suing those companies for patent infringement, and so far they're winning. Right. So Praluent could essentially be forced off the market as soon as next month. And this is going back and forth and back and forth in courts. But as of right now, it does look like Amgen has the upper hand. Yeah, there's an appeals court decision that will come out um, in, well, they say sometime as early as June, as late as December, right? And if they are found, uh, Am if Amgen comes out victorious, then um, Sanofi and Regeneron are either going to have to pull their drug or figure out a deal with Amgen to pay them a royalty stream. Now, I don't know why Amgen would want royalties from Parliament if they've got a drug that already you know, delivers the goods, if you will, in cardiovascular outcomes. So maybe it'll come down to, you know, uh, Sanofi and Regeneron are conducting their own study in cardiovascular outcomes. Maybe it'll come down to who had the better outcome in those studies. Right. Um, What's interesting is that we actually don't know the magnitude of the outcome from the Repatha study. We don't have the numbers on it yet. No, and we won't get those until a key industry conference in March. So maybe investors will want to tune into our show as we get further into spring uh, and we'll give people an update on what those numbers actually were. We knew that we know there's a statistical benefit. We don't know how big that statistical benefit is. And the number, in case uh, you're curious, that that people are targeting as being, okay, this is going to be a good number, would be greater than a 20% reduction in those events. If you see that, then it's likely to open up many more patients to these, these uh, to qualify for these drugs. 
Right. And speaking of timelines, the Praluent data for their long-term cardiovascular risks trial, uh, the study, that will come out later this year. So that's even farther down the road. Right. And what's really interesting is that, you know, will that data come out before the appeals court issues or their decision or after? And that's really going to make things complex for these companies to figure out, you know, how to handle the situation depending on who wins. Yeah, I think that whether or not Amgen decides to go for a royalty will largely depend on the outcome of these trials. I agree with that. Support for Industry Focus today comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust and who has your best interests in mind. With Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial information to get a mortgage and approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and the length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Thanks so much again to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting our podcast. All right, Todd, so we have already covered the cholesterol drug market. The next thing that we wanted to talk about on our heart episode is a company called Edward Life Sciences. This is going to be a stock that not a lot of listeners maybe are going to know about. Um, it's not obviously as well known as a company like Amgen, but it's still a very important company because it's changing how surgeons treat um, patients that have narrowing arteries in their heart. Right. So traditionally, that situation is solved with open heart surgery, which is a huge deal. And there's some risks involved with it. And while Edward Life Sciences does have some surgical heart valves that they that they do, that they make, they're also the leader in transcatheter heart valves, which is a non-surgical option. Right. Now, you know, every once in a while we like to play games with our listeners. Let's let's do a quick game. Um, And I know you know the answer. So, you know, don't chime in. You don't have to tell them I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> All right. How many um, traditional surgeries are done uh, in the U.S. for um, aortic stenosis or narrowing of the heart arteries? Is it is it 500,000, uh, 1 million, or 1.5 million? And let's give our listeners, you know, I don't know, a 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Do, 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 do. All right. Everybody get the answer, then? <laughs> it's 1.5 million. I mean, this is a, there are a lot of patients that um, unfortunately, uh, you know, suffer from this life-threatening um, uh, situation, and you know, treating many of those patients with open-heart surgery is frankly dangerous. You know, a lot of these patients are older; they may have other diseases that uh, could make them more, you know, at risk. Um, it's it's so it in many cases, open-heart surgery isn't the best choice. And that's where Edwards Life Sciences comes in because they get about 50% of their revenue uh, in selling products that are used to treat this condition without having to open up the body or open up the chest cavity. Instead, they can insert a new valve into a major artery um, and then put that into the failing valve uh, and avoid those complications and risks that comes with the more dangerous surgery. 
Exactly. And right now, this is a market sized at $2.5 billion for Edward Life Sciences, but they expect that the opportunity here is going to double to greater than $5 billion by 2021, which is not really that far away. Uh, they're calling that, that there's going to be increased awareness of this type of surgery, indication expansion, technological advances, all these tailwinds that can open up this opportunity even more for them. Right, because the smallest portion of, of the people who are going under these this open heart surgery uh, are the ones that are most at risk, right? As you move that to intermediate risk patients, you move that to low risk patients, you're opening up the addressable market to this uh, approach to so many more people, so many more patients, and that should continue to fuel revenue growth over time. Um, that revenue growth you know, may not be in the 30 to 40 to 50% year over year uh, rate that we've seen historically with this company, but you know, I would imagine that you're going to continue to see double-digit growth uh, in at least procedure volume, in procedure uh, rates for this approach over the course of the next five years. And if so, then you know, investors could come out, you know, nicely rewarded. Right. This is a company that has grown a ton already, and there's pretty high expectations for it too. Back in October, when they reported earnings, they fell quite a bit just because their growth stopped being as big. It went from, I believe it was 23% to 20% year-over-year growth in the quarter that they're reporting on. And investors sent the stock downwards just because it was only 20% growth. And right. So- and what's interesting is that they, you know, people, investors need to remember that they have these other slow-growing parts of the business that account for 50% of sales. So, I mean, if you just break out this other part of this fast-growing part of the business, you went from in Q2 grow, you know, year-over-year growth of 49%. Uh, to 418 million, to Q3 38.5 percent to 410, to Q4 up 38 percent or so uh, to 432 million. So yes, you're decelerating, but wow, we're still talking about very, very fast growth for this company. And I guess you could say that maybe where it was priced to perfection last fall, maybe it's less so priced per- to perfection now. Yeah. So interested investors definitely take a look at this one. It's a pretty cool company. So, last topic of the day that we wanted to bring up are blood thinners. And this is kind of a parallel story to the cholesterol story that we told at the beginning of the episode, where there's a longstanding blood thinner called warfarin that's been used for decades um, as the, the predominant blood thinner, anticoagulant. But there's a new class of drugs that are on the market, and they're called factor 10A inhibitors. Yeah, this, it, this is a much needed. Um, improvement over warfarin, in my view. I mean, you've got warfarin has has been the go-to drug in what's a ten billion dollar market for you know since the fifties, uh, maybe the sixties. So you know to be able to go in and say, okay, where where you know warfarin requires significant amounts of of patient testing and dose adjustment uh, and dietary restrictions because of the way it works. We can talk about that in a second. Uh, factor uh, uh, XA inhibitors don't have those same uh, drawbacks or requirements. And as a result, you know, doctors are increasingly gaining comfort with them and using them more and more and more. And as re- and that's making, you know, we're translating into billions of dollars uh, in sales for the makers of these drugs. Johnson & Johnson, uh, which makes Seralto, and Bristol-Myers and Pfizer, which are teamed up on uh, Eliquis. 
Right. Uh, so you mentioned warfarin's mechanism of action. Really, all it does is it targets vitamin K, which prevents blood clots. And so w- when you mentioned a dietary uh, change for some patients, that's to reduce the vitamin K intake for the patient. Um, so as you mentioned, is it's kind of an imperfect drug, despite having been used for a long, long time. And so when the factor 10A inhibitors came to market, it was a pretty big deal, and they're definitely picking up steam quickly. Yeah, I mean, warfarin, think about that for a second. You know, the ability for warfarin to work is going to depend on what you had to eat this past week. So, yeah, I mean, you're looking for something that's going to be potentially, you know, same efficacy, um, less patient burden, and in the case of Eliquis, um, potentially a a better safety profile. And as a result, you know, Zeralto sales totaled $2.3 last year, and that was up 22%. And Eliquis sales totaled over $3 billion, and that was up 80%. Yeah, these companies are making a ton of money on these drugs. But I think the important question to ask is, which one has the advantage? In my view, the biggest advantage, is, well, Eliquis obviously is getting prescribed at a much faster rate. It's growing much quicker, right? 80% to $3.3 billion, uh, is pretty remarkable growth. And I believe that the reason behind that is that you know if you look at the studies that were done in evaluating Eliquis's ability to 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 prevent clots, um, one of the things they looked at was the risk of bleeds, right? Because obviously, if you're preventing blood clots, clots, your blood's getting a little thinner. So if you nick yourself or whatever, uh, theoretically, you know you could bleed. Um, so you've got you know these bleeding events that can occur on drugs like warfarin, Zeralto, and Eliquis. Eliquis showed in trials that it works better than warfarin in controlling bleed or reducing the number of bleeds. And that's a huge potential safety advantage over these other drugs uh, in the class. And as a result, I think that's why this drug is is gaining ground so much more quickly. It is likely to continue to gain ground more quickly than the other factor XAs that are coming to market. Yeah, I, I would agree. At the recent JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, the CEO of Bristol Myers said that they are relatively close to nabbing the lead spot for total prescriptions rankings for this drug, Eliquis, which is already number one in the institutional setting, meaning hospitals, et cetera, and also among cardiologists. And in this scenario, it's also beating out warfarin. But- yeah, and which is fascinating, right, Christine? Because you think about that, how rapidly these these the use of these drugs has been, and yet warfarin still has a huge market share. Yeah, they have fifty four percent of patients are still on warfarin, but a large part of that is because no antidote currently exists and is approved for the factor ten A inhibitors, as opposed to warfarin, which surprise you can just take vitamin K and it undoes it. Right. So I mean, if you. So you don't want to use these drugs necessarily, factor XAs, in elderly patients who are frail and may be subject to falls, et cetera, until an antidote gets available. And maybe, Christine, that's going to happen soon. Yeah, I, I was going to resist the temptation to talk about one of my favorite stocks on this show, but the conversation has led us there. So I'll just quickly throw it out there that Portola Pharmaceuticals, if you haven't already heard me talking about this stock, is working on developing exactly that antidote. Right. And we don't know if or when it would get approved, but the FDA is considering it. Um, you know, I think a, a, a resubmission of the application. And we'll go back and listen to our shows in the past. We talked about this. Um, but it would obviously be a very big advance for uh, doctors and patients. And it would probably expand the use of these drugs like Eliquis significantly because now they could get used in more and more patients. 
right? And Todd, I know you've written a bunch of articles about this entire market. I have written one or two myself. Um, listeners, if you're curious, I'm happy to send them to you. Just shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. Todd, thank you so much for all of the insights today. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening and Fool on!